hi everyone and welcome to the second episode of Yunam Youth Podcast. Um, today we're going to talk about something that's quite significant and in line with World Refugee Day, which, is, which falls on the 20th of June. And the title for today is the, dub, the doubly vulnerable state of refugee women and children towards sexual violence. So as we can see nowadays, COVID-19 is actually taking a toll in us, in everyone. Everyone is taking is being taken a toll in like in all forms of people, every every group of people is being affected by this. All right, so before we move on even further, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Ilya Zairin. I am from Women for Refugees, and I will be your moderator for today. So what is Women for Refugees is that we are an organization that are committed to empower refuge, refugee women, not only in providing basic necessities for them to be able to sustain themselves, but also educational lessons in terms of leadership training in hopes that this is one aspect that they can feel more empowered and also gain a sense of confidence with them. Now, a brief introduction of our speaker today. Our guest speaker today is Heidi Kwa from Refuge for Refugees. Now, Heidi is a notable voice, a notable voice in the in the arena of refugees, human trafficking victims, and marginalized groups. So she speaks a lot about this, and she's actually a notable and recognized voice in it. And to even further um, solidify her her recognition is that she actually received awards such as. Queen's Young Leader Awards and Women of the Future Awards. So without further ado, I would actually like to invite Ms. Heidi to introduce what she does um, in the sense of Refuge for Refugees. Yeah, hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much to the UNAM team for so graciously having me on board. Uh, my name is Heidi, I'm the founder and director of Refuge. We've been around for almost a decade now. Um, our primary focus has always been education. We run about 35 schools, two halfway homes and a social business school for refugees. Uh, but beyond that, we've also really actively involved in doing advocacy and policy work, as well as um, case management for um, for cases that, that involves women and children. You know, a lot of times women and children fall victims um, to human trafficking and sexual ex exploitation um, in a country like Malaysia. So that's really just a bunch of, you know, what I do. Right. Thank you so much, Miss he Heidi, for that. And I think what you're doing right now is an amazing thing. We do, the, the marginalized group do need, does need people to help them and aid them in what in any way that they can. So um, moving on for today, I would just like to list out what we're going to be talking about. And today we're actually going to be talking about, first and foremost, the definition of, just a brief definition of what actually is a refugee and what is actually sexual violence we're talking about. And then we're going to delve even more into more in-depth with the questions that are related to this. And we're probably going to wrap it up as soon as possible or like as soon as we are finished. All right. So, okay. So without without wasting any more time, I actually like to go through the first question. Like I said before, today we are going to talk about in alliance with World Refugee Day that um, is an event by the UN and falls on the 20th of June. So I think we should first set the basis or the foundation of what actually is a refugee and what is sexual violence. Um, so that's, that's such a good question, Ilya. Um, first of all, a refugee is someone who is unable to or unwilling to return to their country of origin owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion. Um, and when we look at the definition of sexual violence, it is any sexual act attempt to obtain a sexual act, unwanted sexual comment or advances, or acts to traffic or otherwise directed against a person's sexuality using coercion by any person regardless of their relationship to the victim in any setting, including but not limited to home and work. 
So quotient can cover a whole spectrum of degrees of force, right? Apart from physical force, it may involve psychological intimidation, blackmail, or other threats. For instance, the threat of physical harm or being dismissed from a job simply because, you know, they have not said yes to, uh, um, you know, someone seeking a sexual favor. Um, you know, it can also occur when a person um, that is being aggressive is unable to give consent. You know, for instance, when you're drunk, drugged, asleep, or mentally incapable of understanding the situation. Sexual violence includes a whole host of things. It includes rape, defined as physically forced or otherwise coerced penetration, even if slight of the vulva or anus using a penis or any other body part or an object. The attempt to do so is known as attempted rape. So rape of a person by two or more perpetrators is known as gang rape, and sexual violence can include other forms of assault involving a sexual organ, including coerced contact between the mouth, the penis, the vulva, and the anus. Um, so that's really what the de definition of sexual violence is. It's not just, you know, rape um, as people understand it, um, but it's, it's, it's really forced penetration um, in any way possible. All right. Thank you, Ms. Heidi, for that very clarifying definition of both of the terms that was given. And from what I understand, that sexual violence is anything that's, um, that, 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 is vi that is violent, obviously, that is non-consensual and actually yeah. cause fear towards a person. So with that being said, obviously, sexual violence can, ha violence can happen to anyone. But my question now is that are refugee women and children more prone or more vulnerable to um, sexual violence? And if so, why is it that they are more vulnerable? Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, refugee women and children are definitely more vulnerable of exposed to sexual violence because, um, you know, just, just given their, their predicament, right? A lot of children, they're young, they're helpless. Um, they are unable to defend themselves. A lot of times, the perpetrators who are men are often bigger and stronger, you know? Um, they, are, they have more power in so many ways. They're more in control of situations. And this often immediately puts the refugee and women um, in a more defenseless situation. Um, let's look at really the, you know, our current COVID-19 pandemic, right, and how it, it further impacts refugee women and children. Um, with, the, with the pandemic, um, I'm sure, you know, many of us are aware that, you know, while, while we get to stay home and work from home and study from home, um, the refugee community who depend on daily wages are unable to do so. So with this lockdown, once again, many of them have lost their jobs and, and are unable to put food on the table for their families. Um, this means that everyone is home at the same time, and this can often look like maybe 20, 25 people at home at once, right? Because often you've got multiple families uh, renting a small flat together. Each family takes a tiny room. Um, with the increase of number of people at home, um, along with just the, the added stress, you know, and added pressure of the loss of jobs, and, and how um, the increased xenophobia amongst Malaysians that, 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 that put the refugee community at further fear, even, as, even when they go out and purchase um, food, for example, this truly adds to the mental load and increased violence at home. So yes, refugee women and children are definitely way more vulnerable and exposed to sexual violence um, on, a, on a regular basis, but even more so now during the COVID-19 pandemic, when we're all um, in lockdown and forced to stay home. You know, while it's it's quite ironic, right, when you think about it, you know, we stay home to keep safe, um, but staying home for the refugee community um, doesn't always necessarily keep them safe. Um, it's not just, um, you know, the increase of violence that happens at home, which, you know, it's um, it makes sense, right? But it's also, you know, the living environments they're in, you know, that they, they have not 
chose to be in, right? The cramped up living environments that, that, that increases the spread of the virus, um, as well as the loss of jobs that, that adds a lot more pressure. Um, I don't think we fully understand, we may not fully understand as, as, as Malaysians, you know, who are doing okay, um, how, how damaging it can be for the refugee community. Um, on a daily basis, you know, we get calls, you know, from, from, from mothers, you know, telling us that their kids have not, you know, eaten in three, four days. Um, you know, with, with the kids being kept away from school, um, this also puts them much further behind, you know, um, on, the, on the playing field, right, because they miss out on a whole lot of education. Um, our kids, I mean, Malaysian kids, you know, we can, we, can, we can study at home, right, we can go for online classes, but the reality is, you know, online learning isn't so feasible for the refugee community as well. Um, and this, this is what puts them at risk at a lot of times, right? Because, um, you know, they don't have the devices, they don't have the access to internet, even if they do have the devices and, you know, even if, if let's say schools, you know, help with mobile pop-ups to allow them to, to log online for school, the reality is they don't have a conducive learning environment at home. Yeah, I totally agree with you with all the points that you said. Um, even the community that that we go to are as well even though they are they do have their own separate house or basically they're just living spaces they do still are cramped up or like they still um go and occupy a single house just because they need to meet uh, ends meet and yeah. by occupying it they are actually lessening rent and everything and uh, yeah definitely COVID-19 is definitely putting more strain to everyone in the, co in the um, refugee yeah. community and it's leaving yeah. more people vulnerable more women and children vulnerable like you said children like in Malaysia have the have the privilege of studying at home and even have a pretty conducive and comfortable environment but for these refugee children Though they, though they have the option of studying, if they have the option of studying at home as well, it's not something that they are able to do, not only yeah. from the lack of device that so many are facing, but also because the environment is not something that is um, appropriate for them. And yeah. th that's uh, very spot on. And I think it's, I totally agree with you with that. Yeah. Um, going on to the third question, like you mentioned before, because of the high risk and like the increase of um, mental strain on everybody, sexual violence towards refugee women are more vulnerable, are more at risk or more increasing but yeah. i would also like to ask when is it or like when do this sexual violence uh perpetrate against them yeah. is it during like now is it only happening now when they enter a host country and it's like yeah. in, a, in a in a community or does it happen before they even yeah. come or is it happening once they leave you know? could you explain yeah. more on that yeah so i wish that um you know we could truly identify and go like oh you know it only happens you know in their host countries or it only happens at home or it only only happens you know when they are you know traveling to their host country um but but the reality is um it happens every time right um a lot of these women and children who have fled their countries would have faced immense um, sexual violence uh, perpetrated against them that, that often is the root reason as to why they're forced to flee um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, their home countries in, in the very beginning, right? And then, you know, you, you make your journey over and a lot of times, you know, um, you know, you are caught, you know, at the borders, you know, or at, um, you know, refugee camps or settlements at the borders as well. Um, and, and, you know, you, you know, a lot of times you hear stories of women and children um, being raped by um, border control guards and then yes. you know they make their way into the city here um, and a lot of times people think that like oh you know what you're in you're in the city you are safe oh lucky you you made it here alive um, but the truth and the reality is 
um, even till today, um, you know, they, they still face a huge amount of sexual violence, you know, um, while looking um, a lot of times, um, you know, even while working, right? And it's crazy because, um, I mean, I remember three or four years ago, um, I had a student, an ex-student um, who was about 15, 16 years old, working in a shopping mall in KL. Um, and, you know, she was working in a, uh, a wholesale store where, you know, her main role was really just replenishing the shelves um, and sorting out clothes. Um, and her boss would constantly make advances on her. Um, and she would, you know, tell him off over and over again, going like, hey, you know what, please don't do this, I'm uncomfortable. But, um, you know, she was forced to, she was forced to stay on anyway, right? Because how can you tell your boss off, you know, without, without fear of having your salary withhold, withheld or, you know, um, yeah, or, or for just further abuse, right? So um, I remember, you know, at one point it got really bad when she, um, I think he was just trying to be funny and it was all caught on the CCTV, yeah? um, and she finally snapped at her boss and he got so angry that he brought her to the back of the building, doused um, petrol on her and set her on fire. Um, and I remember getting a call at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, um, telling me what had happened, you know. Um, thankfully, we managed to get to the girl on time. Uh, we got her to the hospital. And, and today, she's, she's okay, you know, with really severe burns still, but she's okay. Um, but, but see, sexual violence can happen anytime, you know. Um, it, it's the root reason why people have to flee from their home countries. Um, but it's also a very real issue here, um, you know, in, yeah. in their host, in their current host countries, and yeah, this yeah. and it's crazy because when this happens to them, um, there's nowhere that they can go to make reports, right? Um, each and every time I take on a case where you know a refugee have been raped or you know um, have experienced sexual violence in one way or another, um, I can't even. I can't even make a report. The, the crazy thing is, I can't even bring them to um, a government hospital to seek treatment. So when you when you go to a government hospital, um, they bring you to this thing called the OCR. Oh my goodness, I'm really bad with these terms. But basically, it's the it's the rape unit, right? Where they um they do a rape kit on you, but you're also kind of you're made to file a police report. The the unfounded fear. I mean, the fear from, from filing a police report when it comes to people in the refugee community is what if I file a police report um, but end up being detained myself, right? What if I file a police report? Will the system really protect me? And the truth is, um, we don't have proper systems um, in place to protect refugee and migrant women um, from sexual violence. So even if they were to step forward um, to make a report, they go unprotected. In fact, a lot of times the fear is it puts them at further risk, right? Because it puts you on the radar of our authorities um, and it increases your chances of just being arrested and detained. And, and we've seen, you know, firsthand how, how, how this, this, you know, how incidents like this happen, right? Um, where women step forward to file a police report, whether is it against um, sexual violence or, um, you know, trafficking in persons, and, and, and because they step forward and offer up information about themselves, they're then um, put into detention centers and eventually deported back home, separated from their families once again. I think a lot of us are not aware that there's no proper framework when we talk about refugees in Malaysia. There's nothing that's, that helps guide us on how we can deal because in Malaysia, in Malaysia as well, we don't recognize them. And as well as your comment on it happens every time. Yeah, 
definitely it doesn't matter where or when sexual violence does happen every time and, and any time actually it doesn't it's not on oh yeah let me do it while they are here you know it can happen even there it can happen during the, tra the, the travel even and even during uh, where they go and the fear that they feel of like have wanting to report to get justice but feeling more fear of like you know if i were to do this i'm going to get detained is almost unimaginable to me and almost heartbreaking because no one should have that fear especially and yeah i just feel like it's it's it's, it's almost unimaginable for how this woman what these women and children are going through um in this current situation when they face through this situation especially with the with the girl you just told me uh, the story of the girl that you told us about uh, honestly is heartbreaking and it's quite uh sickening to how people can do that to another person human being yeah um okay so going on as well to the next question like you said before these women are scared to go um to the police station or like to make it to make a, a, a statement because they're afraid that they get arrested or they get detained so isn't there any law or any mechanism that actually helps protect this woman from from becoming the victim of sexual violence? Is there anything that can mitigate the risk of them becoming a victim from the very beginning? Mm. I wish there was a straightforward answer to this. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, there are certain laws and mechanisms, maybe not laws, but mechanisms in place, right? And I think um, as, as basic as it sounds, right, one of it would definitely be um, just education on the ground, right, to teach these women to speak up or actually really highlight what sexual violence is about. Um, a lot of times, surprisingly, um, people do not understand enough what sexual violence is. So, you know, each time, you know, um, you know, they are harmed, they probably sweep it off and go like, oh, you know what, it's probably not, you know, they end up blaming themselves, right? Yeah, uh, they yeah. end up going like, oh, yeah, you know, I deserve this. Oh, maybe I did this, you know, oh, you know, yeah. she didn't mean it. Um, they, they often end up gaslighting themselves because they don't understand what sexual violence really means. Or sometimes... Yeah, yeah. For many instances, they go like, oh, you know what, just because it didn't involve a penis and vagina situation, for example, I wasn't raped. But yeah. we have to understand that sexual violence includes rape, um, which really is defined by like physical force or otherwise coerced penetration in any way possible, right? Um, so I think, first of all, it's to um, the first mechanism in place is to really educate women and children what is sexual violence, right? And to teach them that this is not okay. It's not just, sometimes they're so used to it, right? That, you know, that they feel that like, oh, you know what? Um, it's, it's normal, you know, these things happen. But, but it's not okay. So how do we educate them on what sexual violence is? And then how do we teach them to speak up about it? Um, and I think, you know, there are so many, um, I don't think there's enough laws in place to, to, to mitigate the risk of them becoming victims of sexual violence. Um, uh, or at least, you know, you know, even if there are some laws in place, you know, it's not the most um, effective when it comes to refugee women and children. But I think, you know, the, what we can do, you know, would really be to make sure that we educate the community on what sexual violence is, but also to teach them, to give them a safe space to speak up, you know, when it happens. Um, this means running, you know, women groups, right? Which I think, oh yeah, it's what, what you guys do at Women for Refugees so powerfully, right? To work so closely with women and to teach them that like, hey, your voice matters, you know? It's not just your husband's voice that matters, it's your voice that matters. And I want to hear from you. I want, and, and I'm teaching, I'm giving you um, um, the language to speak up, you know, um, and, and, and to express yourself, you know? Because a lot of times women have been silenced, right? For such a long time that they feel that, you know, maybe if I, you know, maybe 
only when women speak up, you know, um, stuff holds a bit more weight. But now, what we can do is to teach women that, hey, your voice matters, you know. And 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 when, when you come up and when you speak to me and when you tell me about what has happened to you, I will not dismiss you. I will listen to you and I'll hold space, you know, and I will support you through. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess with that, thank you so much for what you guys did at Women for Refugees. It's so powerful. All right, thank you so much, Miss Heidi. Um, we hope that we can actually go forward with this and even make it even more stronger. So, again, yeah, reassurance to these ladies are very important. I remember going to a workshop talking about sexual violence, and a lot of them, or like the speakers said, that a lot of them don't know that that is sexual violence, or they don't know that that is wrong. And it's something that we should definitely educate not only the public but these um marginalized group especially. So, yep. going on to my um my next question as well. What? <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's COVID-19 now. And as we all know, and as you just said, that we are all stuck at home. We are all, you know, there's obstacles even when we want to go and cross the border. But for refugees specific specifically, what are the challenges and the barriers that they have that they face when going or like accessing support services that may be available to them? Yeah, I think so some very real challenges. Um, first of all, would be a lot of shelters now are at capacity. Um, I mean, just of the past one and a half years, like I myself have been receiving just so many calls, um, you know, with refugee women at risk, right? And when we make this, when we make calls to shelters, a lot of times shelters tell us that we are at capacity. Um, and even if you're not at capacity yet and they have space, um, it requires us to bring, you know, to, to provide an emergency shelter for these refugee women while they get tested for COVID, right? Because the last thing you want is to bring a new entry um, and a COVID carrier into a shelter that kind of infects everyone else. Um, so one core issue would be shelter to capacity. Um, another core issue would be system, our system being overloaded. Um, you know, I mean, most of us would have read, you know, the news, uh, the past year and a half, right? Uh, we have seen a drastic, drastic, drastic increase in domestic violence um, and sexual violence, you know, as a country. So as it is, our system is already extremely overloaded. Um, and with the with lockdowns upon lockdowns, a lot of times the system is running at limited capacity. Um, and because of this, you know, um, if a regular Malaysia finds it hard to 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 access support services, you know, when it comes to sexual violence, um, I can't imagine how much tougher it is uh, for the refugee community. Um, I think along with that, right? Sorry, I mean, I'm just just adding on to it. Um, I think some another really real challenges is um, kind of having to to be distant from everyone else. Um, a lot of times, you know, while we've got plenty of numbers and hotlines available that the refugee community can call, um, the truth is a lot of them are still not made aware to such services. Um, you know, and 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 the technology, the technological barrier is also very real in in such a time as this, right? Even if they do have access, um, do we have you know interpreters on standby? You know, do we have uh, people who truly understand? Um, what's happening and 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 the vulnerabilities that comes from being a refugee and women, refugee women or refugee child. You know, do they do we have caseworkers that truly understand the vulnerabilities of what it means to be a refugee woman and a refugee child? Um, do we have caseworkers that can provide such support? Um, I think these are just sub considerations that that we need to take in place. You know, when just accessing um, support services um, during the pandemic. I, I would think that language barrier um, is, a, is a huge concern. Um, no longer can a refugee just kind of walk into a centre these days. 
um, they would have to call a hotline, right? And and a lot of times these hotlines are just um, over capacity. Yeah, I, I, um, that's the reality of it for a lot of it is that we are almost overloaded or we are at our brink as well in like the terms of shelter and hotlines and everything. And even the things that are minimal, like some people would think that our language, you know, they assume that the refugees or the Rohingya refugees specifically can speak Malay, but but they have to understand as well that it's not their mother tongue, that's not their first language. So though they can yeah. speak Malay, there's not like they can't speak to the full extent of how to explain certain things. Even yeah. as we as women for refugees go on ground um during our first ever our first ever our first engagement with the refugees. Yes, they speak Malay, but some of them can't read, some of them can't write, some of them yeah. have difficulties to express themselves yes. even. So so yes. all this though they seem little, although they seem like yeah. quite insignificant to us, this can actually help. Um, yeah. bridge the gap between yeah. us and the refugees. So yeah, I hundred yeah. appreciate. Yeah. Like, I so, agree with yeah. that. Yeah, you go, yeah. go ahead. No, so sorry. And so spot on, okay. right? Is the reality also is that a lot of times, um, you know, despite you know understanding the language, they cannot write. Um, they they might not be able. They might not. They they might be able to briefly speak the language, not in a not enough to explain the entirety of the situation. Um, but. Yeah, you know, when it comes to writing and, and having to write down what has truly happened, that's also a struggle, right? I mean, I say this because so often on, on almost on a daily basis, when I receive calls or text messages, um, I would say that 80% of it are actually voice messages um, when they are asking for help. Um, simply because, um, and I don't, um, I, I know it's not because they're lazy to, to type it out or they're lazy to write it, it's because they simply cannot, right? Because they've never had the privilege um, to education like many of us do. Yes, exactly. And they're so passionate when we say, okay, we're going to learn about, uh, we're going to learn how to read or write Malay. Yeah. When we, whenever we go to our educational classes, they're excited, they're engaged yeah. because they know that this is going to make their life much better, especially like yeah. they won't need, they, in the near future, in what we hope is that they can go to probably like a, a private clinic and not need us to fill in forms or need us to like help um, tell them what the nurse or the doctor said because yeah in, in yeah. certain ways as well we they, they want that certain you know independence or like security that they can handle themselves as well to in certain situations yeah such as just going basically even going to the grocery store might be a challenge just because of the language barrier so totally yeah. agree with all this with all the things that you've said actually um moving on to our last question and i think you answered it but if you could give more opinions and more suggestions is that how could we, as our as a community, move forward within our capabilities? What can we do to for them? Yeah, I think first of all we need to, um, you know, find ways. How do we be an ally, right, for the refugee community? Um, you know, and I often tell people, you don't need to be running an organization. You don't need to be a human rights activist. You can just be a voice for the refugee community. Um, this means um something as simple as tackling xenophobia on your timelines you know when you see your friends or your acquaintances or people that you know or even strangers being xenophobic you know attacking the refugee community you know how do you speak up on behalf of the refugee community um and and you know what i often tell people that it's not just refugee rights that we're looking at you know refugee rights is human rights right so how do we speak up, you know, and try to educate people um, as to why um, refugees are here in Malaysia, the realities of the refugee community. Uh, um, so number one, you know, be an ally. Number two, um, 
I would say start by having conversations amongst your friends and your families. Um, a lot of times, change happens, um, first of all, in the circles closest to us, right? Um, I, I always tell people, first, it starts off with convincing, I mean, um, convincing yourself, you know, that something's worth fighting for. Then start by convincing the people around you, and that's where, you know, your voice will slowly grow. Um, I feel that all of us have a pretty significant platform these days, um, which is social media, right? How are we using our social media to um, raise awareness about, um, you know, the struggles of the refugee community? How are we using social media to educate people as to why people become refugees in the first place? You know, and, and, and not just that, right? But how do we treat refugees with dignity? Um, you know, not as someone that's less than, not as someone that is, you know, um, a foreigner in our country, but how do we treat them with dignity and with respect? I think that goes a very long way. Um, and of course, you know, look for your nearest organization or an organization that, that you're drawn to. Um, find ways that you can join them, you know, volunteer with them. You know, it doesn't, you don't always need to be, um, you know, if, if case, if, if doing casework, for example, uh, is, is not something that you are comfortable with, right? Because a lot of times it's very emotionally taxing. Um, and, and it's pretty scary having to do with authority sometimes. Um, you can volunteer your skills, you know, whether it's in designing or communications, um, in any way possible. Um, there's always a way um, to get involved um, and to contribute your time and effort into just elevating the voices of the refugee community. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's so many things. We are now so open and we are now so connected. And I think just by sharing or just by reposting things that are uh, related that yeah. are protecting is definitely going to yeah. do a, a, a big step forward yeah yeah, yeah. 100%, and like you know a lot of times yeah sorry it's okay it's okay go ahead oh no 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 i mean i'm so sorry i was just saying that a lot of times right people think that oh you know what does it make a difference whether i share it or not let me tell you it makes a huge difference um, you might think that it's yeah you might think that you know you're just resharing on your insta story for example but you 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 never be able to understand the impact it has you know based on a reader that needed to read and understand um how they can further support the refugee community and I say this right because time and time again I have just been mind blown by the responses of people even on Instagram right um I mean just last night you know at at one a.m. in the morning I posted up a, a call for um you, you know I mean a plea for a refugee mother um who gave birth in one of our public hospitals. Um, but because she couldn't afford her hospital bills, um, the, the hospital refused to allow her to take home her child. So she had to scramble and find for the money um, in order to be reunited with her baby. And so uh, they came to me and I'm, I remember just kind of briefly writing about it on, on Instagram um, and telling people, like, hey, this is what, what's happening. We're trying to raise this amount for this mother. Um, and when I woke up at 7 a.m. in the morning, um, the amount has been raised above and beyond. Right, and that's really the power of the internet. People, um, people sharing what, how do we further support the community? Um, every share makes a difference. Every share, um, you know, goes towards just um further protecting uh refugee women and a child, or further elevating the voices of the refugee community. Yes. So even the smallest thing in their in like the public's eyes actually something that can definitely give a big impact to us. And especially one thing and yeah. another point that you said that I honestly felt was that you have to convince our, ourselves before we convince the people around us. Because I personally um yeah. have had, hadn't had direct 
uh, direct work with refugees before this. The only thing that I had was that I had to yeah. do a language program and it was at the end of the year and my lecturer was like, okay, you need to do this for school people, like children. And me being, you know, I yeah. was uneducated. I was pretty ignorant, I would say. Didn't know that, you know, um, yeah. there's this group of people who doesn't even have proper education. I was only looking at like, like you know, um, international yeah. schools and government schools. And then my lecturer came and was like, okay, why not you invite um, the, the students from this um, this center for the refugee learning center and I was like okay and as I get to know them yeah. and as I get to know the story I was like oh okay so that's this group of people that was my first introduction and then moving yeah. forward reading and actually being you know exposed to the reality of it you can you feel like oh this isn't how someone should be treated you know like yeah they shouldn't, their human rights shouldn't be withheld back and they shouldn't be yeah. seen as someone lowly or like someone who needs pity because they're humans and as humans, we must respect yeah. each other as equally. Yeah. And I think exactly, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's the most uh, yeah. the most notable thing. Refugees are human beings yeah. and, so, and all human beings, though they are prone and exposed to sexual violence, they must also be respected as how other human beings are. Are, yeah. are respected and I think that is the yeah. most um, impactful and the most notable thing that we can take away from this talk so yeah. thank you so much for answering yeah. all the questions I, I hope it was as interesting to you as it was for me especially hearing from your side and your explanation um, yeah, yeah so, for sure thank you so much for having me oh, thank you for coming and, and accepting this invitation um, so yeah we have reached the end of our um, podcast so just a brief just a brief recap is that we talked about the, what is actually sexual violence. It's not only about the penetration of the sexual organ to another sexual organ or the mouth and everything. It's any kind of um, sexual, uh, sexual action that is towards a certain individual. And then we talked about refugees, who are the refugees? And we also talked about all the other questions that, were, that we could take away and actually be, and actually maybe um, think about it and actually see what can we do, as, such as Miss Heidi said, we don't need to be a part or start an organization. We can just simply, you know, retweet or repost and we can make a, a more impactful uh, step or more impactful um, impact towards them. So thank you so much, Ms. Heidi, for coming to this talk. Thank you to the listeners no, for thank listening. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for, for your time. It was so interesting. I was so into it. I almost cut you off at some parts as well. So thank you again. Thank you for the listeners. Thank you for the organizers for organizing this, especially um, in celebration or in awareness of World Refugee Day, which is on the 20th of June. I hope you all have a good day and thank you for listening.